Welcome to the RuthCon podcast, uh, hosted by Team Boaz. Uh, we are talking about uh, the Boaz character group, uh, and with me today uh, is James Alloway. James, why don't you say a little something about yourself? Hello, my name's James, uh, and I am part of the workplace ministry team in InterVarsity. And we have Terry. Hello, my name's Terry. I am Colin from Prince George, which has been my home for the last two years and is no longer going to be my home shortly. And I'm a recent disc golf enthusiast. And I am Dave. Uh, I am the staff director here in BC and uh, a big Montreal Expos fan, even though they do not exist anymore. Uh, And we were three quarters of the uh, Boaz teaching team. Uh, The other person was Amy, who you may have all seen in the uh, live broadcasts doing teaching with uh, Austin. Uh, She can't be with us today, but we are happy to fill you in on all the fun conversations we had in our uh, character group. So we hope you enjoy this podcast. So yeah, what we're going to do today is just uh, talk a little bit about some of the, the themes uh, and content that was coming up in our Boaz character group, and some of the ones that we didn't actually get around to talking about, but we felt like it would be really good and important for us to uh, jump into some of those themes. So today we're going to talk about themes of generosity and hospitality and redemption. Uh, and to kick things off, we're gonna we're gonna start with generosity. Uh, and Terry, you were the one leading our our manuscript study that morning. Um, how would you describe um, the themes of generosity that came up in the passages we were studying about Boaz? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, it was so good. I was so glad that we got around to talking about bits of this, but I'm also excited to be able to share a bit more this morning, this afternoon, whenever you're listening to this. Um, yeah, I think we chatted quite a bit about just Boaz, how we talked about the law and what would have been expected or um, asked of the Jewish people at that time. Um, but what we see in the story of Ruth is Boaz just going above and beyond all of those things and just caring really well for the person of Ruth and in her circumstance with all of the kind of strikes that she had against her being a Moabite, being a widow. Um, yeah, him just going out of her way and creating a space for her and then eventually obviously redeeming her and her and her family and, and bringing her into the to the line of jesse and david and eventually jesus which is just crazy that she now gets to be a part of that genealogy after where she came from um yeah those are kind of a couple of the main things and were there um i I know when we were talking that morning and we focused more on the second chapter of ruth um we were kind of looking at some of the distinct actions that uh boaz was taking as an israelite man um that actually revealed a lot of the the generous heart that he had. Uh, do you want to talk about any of those things? So in chapter two, I'm just looking for the exact verses here. Um, we just see Boaz, like, again, kind of like I was just saying, just, just come and just go above and beyond. So he notices Ruth for one. Um, yeah. Which we, we don't really know necessarily how significant that was, but um, it says something about him that he, 
pays attention to his workers at the very least. Um, and it could have been, it could have been for, for a number of reasons that she, she stood out and was noticed by him. Yeah. But we also see him invite her to come over and to eat with him, um, on that day of while she was cleaning and, and during the, the meal break time. Um, and it says that she, she ate all she wanted and had some left over. And so we just see this abundance, um, yeah, g- generosity in abundance um, and giving in abundance. Yeah, and later later in the book, we see Boaz give, he poured out six measures of barley and placed them in a bundle for her. Um, and so he is just giving and giving. And yeah, these are just things that were above above and beyond what would have been required. So she was she was noticed and she was cared for, um, and not only for her immediate needs, but also for, um, yeah, for the, the care of her and Naomi. And yeah, the, these measurements are just like large amounts of grain. (laughs) And so like they, they were taken care of, um, yes, somewhat temporarily by, by these two, um, times of him giving, but temporary, but like just, yeah, just way above what would have been required of him. And so, yeah, I'm just I'm just blown away by the generosity of Boaz in this story over and over. And it's generosity that overflows, isn't it? That overflows from Boaz to mm. Ruth and then to Ruth to Naomi in chapter two, because she he gives her enough food that she's full has stuff left over, mm. and what she has left over she's able to take away and give to Ruth. Yeah. So it keeps overflowing from one person to another. Yeah. So I think it's a lens for generosity. I think it's quite helpful. Because often we think about one person to another, but we don't think in terms of mm. from one person to another to another and down chains of things. Mm. There we go. So kind of like the systemic effect of, of generosity. Mm. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I think like something I was thinking about was what, like the context we're in when we're, we're introduced to these three characters, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz is, uh, it is a time where Israel mm. is it, the time of judges and it's not a great, it's not a great setup. There's a lot of really bad stuff happening uh, in the land. Um, lots of killing, lots of like uh, unethical, immoral uh, behaviors. Uh, but as, as a system and mm. a structure, Israel was actually set up to, to care for the people who are on the margins and and to care for like the the widows and and those who didn't have land and they have this whole really fascinating land um well the set of laws connected with the land of how you're supposed to uh set up uh you you could buy land and then Mm. like you could sell it if you needed to and then be able to buy it back uh, in the year of jubilee and you could have the the corners of your land were supposed to be left for like um, the impoverished people to be able to glean so they could like pick a little bit of the, the corners of your crop so that they can eat. Um, and one of the things I, f- I found interesting is I forget who the person was in our group, but uh, I th- there was someone from a farming background who was really struck um, by the moment when Boaz tells his men to pull stuff, yeah. uh, stuff out of their, mm-hmm. um, what they've harvested for Ruth to glean. So it's not just that like he is allowing her as like an impoverished woman to, to, yeah, you know, work the the corners, like um, Mm. the corners of the land, like is allowed, but actually they're being proactive and saying like, no, no, no. I I want you to actually Mm. take out of your own hard work and leave it for 
uh, Ruth Deglin. So someone was saying like he actually is inviting his own workers to participate in generosity with him, right. not just it's not just him alone being a a really quality guy. He's actually like doing a good thing, but then actually getting his whole workforce to take part in that. Well, I mean, James, you, you talked a little bit about like some of the uh, the application of like mm-hmm. that, those generous mindsets and generosity in action. Why don't you say a little bit about that? Well, in some ways, it's a, just a different lens to what we, Terry's already been talking about in terms of generosity, but it's thinking about it in terms of hospitality. Um, there's lots of different ways of defining that term, but one of the ones that I find helpful is quite vague. Uh, and one of the definitions is making space for the other. So to break that down, the making space uh, can take various different forms. And you see at least a couple of those forms even within um, Ruth. So on the one hand, Boaz makes space for Ruth on the land. So he makes space for her to collect the gleanings from the field. And also, like we said, uh, instructs the farmers to leave some on the ground for her to pick up. But also later on in the story, um, Boaz makes space for her at his table uh, and provides food for her to eat from. Um, And making space for the other. uh, The other can, again, be a range of different people. So it might be often for us, it's making space for a friend, for somebody we already know. So we have someone around for a meal or to chat or for coffee or whatever it might be. But again, in in the case of this story, he's not just making space for another person from Mm -hmm. his family or from his tribe, but it's somebody from a completely different nation. She's a Moabite. And so, again, it really is the fullness of this sense of um, making space for the other. And if you pull the lens all the way back, you you can even say that we exist in God's world out of his hospitality. He created the world and made space for us to work in it with him um, out of his generous hospitality. I like it. I mean, James is the man who he always likes to blow things up into the larger picture and the larger like truths, which, but it's true. Like, and what, what do you think would have been the expectation at that time of how were you supposed to relate to, to like a, a foreigner who has a different God or comes from a land with a different God who you have been, you know, at war at with at times. Totally. And like you really hinted at, it kind of gets a bit confused. So on the one hand, back in Leviticus, God gives instructions for ways that foreigners, non-Israelites, can be grafted into the community uh, and can participate. But yet at the same time, the primary lens through which the people have experienced foreigners Mm -hmm. is really people to fight with or to fight against, or to not be trusted. So there really is this sense that hospitality does not come naturally uh, when, it, when it's thinking about the other who is not an Israelite. Be again, here we see that, I think it was Terry said earlier, he's an example of being, or maybe it was you, Dave, talked about how Boaz is an example of what an Israelite is supposed to be, how the law calls them to act towards each other and towards those who are outside of the community, out of their relationship with God. I think I was just thinking of the contrast of like kind of what you were sharing there, James, about, um, yeah, that this was like laid out in Leviticus, that this is what was supposed to be done, but it wasn't being done. Um, and so this story coming out of the time of the judges where just Boaz just, he stands out so much. And I think we're just called to that, right? Like we're called to, to stand out, you know, like, cause then later, obviously we get the incredible example and, pretty complete example of Jesus and all of his generosity and hospitality. Um, and 
yeah, we're called to now demonstrate that and, and to be people that stand out because of our generosity and hospitality. So that's just kind of where joining the, the big picture gang with James. So. I think that's a really helpful point, Terry, because we often get the stories from the Old Testament about how engaging with foreigners leads to bad stuff. So the example of um, King Solomon, people often connect the right. fact that he married to people outside of Israel and started following their foreign gods. And that leads to kind right. of chaos and anarchy and everything else. But I think that's where Boaz serves as a really helpful example. So he is somebody who get who marries someone from outside of Israel, but remains mm-hmm. faithful to the covenant of God and shows how it's supposed to be done to an extent. Um, and that's really helpful. That kind of resonates today because we can often still be afraid of the other. Um, whereas, again, Boaz helps us see that actually mm-hmm. it is possible yeah. and also desirable. And something we're called to do is to make mm-hmm. space for the other, but to not lose sight of God and our covenant with him in the process. I think one of the reasons I find this is actually a very timely story is when I look at the world right now, those same tensions are totally at play. Like I'm uh, like before we started recording, I was just looking at, um, you know, vaccinations in Canada and, you know, stuff's really taking off in Canada. We're, we're, we're getting more people vaccinated. We've got recovery plans. We're getting ready to get back to, you know, hopefully a fun summer. Uh, But this is all it all happens at the cost of those who are outside of our own borders. Uh, the one thing I've noticed is in this season of COVID, it really has been nations seeking their own well-being and throwing other nations under the bus. So um, like the 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 rush for a vaccine for developed countries and the undeveloped country or the like the other countries in the world that uh, have to wait a whole lot longer. Because, well, we're not really thinking about anyone outside of our own borders. We're just thinking mm-hmm. about what's best for our own people. Um, yeah, and we're all kind of indicted by that because, you know, if I, I got my vaccine two weeks ago. So I'm one of those people who's kind of privileged uh, by by the, the setup of my own country. But it's kind of at the expense of of other people. And yet, here's a story that is saying like, yeah, we have all these nationalistic tendencies to actually put our own people first and make sure like take care of your own first and then take care of everyone else after you're taken care of. But he's actually like, like a part of him taking care of himself is actually taking care of other people. He, it's almost like he can't actually be the, like the upright Israelite if he isn't able to go above and beyond and care for someone who's from the outside and welcome them in. So I, I, I love Boaz. I think he's great. So Dave, we've talked a bit about generosity. Uh, we've talked a bit about hospitality. And uh, that brings us to our third category, which was redemption. Uh, yeah, so we didn't we didn't fully talk about this in the uh, study we did during Ruth Khan because we were mainly focusing on Ruth chapter two. But I think um, 
what happens later on in the story is really significant, both to uh, the revealing of Boaz's character, but his participation in this theme of redemption, which I, I just think is such a powerful theme uh, in Ruth. So, you know, we have the the interaction between Ruth and Boaz in chapter three, uh, which we're, we don't need to talk a whole lot about that interaction um, and like what's going on there. Cause I think other groups have, have teased a lot of uh, out of that, um, that chapter, but in there you do have the promise from Boaz that he is mm. going to redeem. Um, he's going to redeem Ruth and Naomi. Uh, he's going to see first if there's someone else who should be the more appropriate person so that he's actually like, again, being a great Israelite going by the rules making sure someone else has the opportunity. Um, but yeah, he, what I really love about Boaz is that he actually reveals the redemptive heart of God. So when we're talking about redemption, we're actually talking about um, things that are lost, things that are like not the way they are meant to be actually being brought back, being found, being, made right again. Uh, so in this situation, you have Naomi and Ruth who have been widowed. They are more impoverished. There's a lot of hurt and pain. Uh, in that society, their security is in jeopardy because they don't have, um, yeah, they don't have the security of a marriage that uh, would be offered through marriages at the time. They don't have offspring, which would promise, um, you know, provision in the future. And so Boaz actually steps into that place and says, yeah, I actually will be, I will be your kinsman redeemer. I mean, those aren't the actual, that that's what's going on. Maybe not the actual words as it's worded. Um, but he's actually saying like this thing that's been lost actually can be found again. This thing that's mm. been pushed to the side, that's been marginalized actually can find a home again, which I think is really beautiful um, and one of the things that I, I think is really fascinating is, uh, so Boaz redeems, uh, Ruth and Naomi, but in the process, he, there's actually um, almost like this prophetic moment of, of like rebuke against Israel because he goes to the first guy who's actually lined up and, and should be the one to actually do it. And he says like, okay, here's the deal. You can have. Um, like you can have all this land and you can redeem it. Uh, so it stays within the family and the guy's like, sure, I'll do it. But then once the guy mm -hmm. realizes, oh yeah, and you have to marry a Moabite, he's like, oh, oh, no, 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 I can't do that. So you start to realize that like, oh, it's, it's actually really deeply ingrained mm -hmm. in their traditions, not so much the law, but the traditions that have been handed down that like, oh, we really don't want to mix it up with these foreigners. And so you, you can see this like bias um, that's being revealed there. And I think the whoever's writing this story puts that in there very purposefully. You could just say like, oh, yeah, they declined to redeem. But they go, oh, if I get the land, if I get all the um, all of the like inheritance that would come with it, great. Oh, but if there's this relationship with a foreigner, no, no, I don't want that. And yet, Ruat, oh, Ruaz, <laughs> Boaz, he actually like hears that. And he's like, "Yeah, I'm, mm. I'm still gonna redeem." 
Like that is not something that is off-putting. So I, I, I love that. Um, I, I think by him actually redeeming uh, Ruth and Naomi, that actually there's this work of redemption that's happening on the flip side where when we get to the end of the story and we have um, the revelation that, you know, there's a child, it's Obed, and Obed gets Jesse, and Jesse gets David, and you get the line of David, and that goes all the way to, the, we know now that goes all the way to Jesus. You actually see that his, Boaz's decision to redeem Ruth and Naomi actually comes back around to redeem hmm. himself and his whole people. It's this mutual redemption that I don't right. know if he realizes that's what's going to happen, but that's what God does through this. Like someone actually, the, the ultimate redeemer of all, all of the cosmos uh, actually comes through this line. And so like, that was kind of mind blowing for me as I was thinking about that um, in the latter sections of, of Ruth. And I wonder, too, if that becomes important again later in the story. So, again, skip forward a few hundred years, even past David, and you get them being carried off into exile for breaking the covenant with God. And you get them coming back under um, Nehemiah. And Nehemiah calls the people out for mm. um, marrying with the surrounding peoples again. But at, it, at the same time, the prophets that promised the return from exile to Jerusalem also feel told of it being a blessing to many nations. So there really is this sense, like you're saying, Dave, that it's ingrained in their heads that you shouldn't do this. And again, there's there's things to be wary of. But at the same time, they lose sight of what God's bigger picture is. God has chosen Israel, but part of the point of them being chosen is to be a blessing for others, not just to be a blessing to themselves. Yeah, absolutely. Thoughts, Terry? Oh, man, so many. I'm just, I'm, I'm soaking in it. <laughs> That's good stuff. Um, yeah, I think it's just, it's just pretty like amazing just watching God's like care for like each of them in this story, I think. But like, I guess, especially Ruth and Naomi, just their vulnerable state and yeah, just all the things that were just mentioned, um, they obviously were, or at least Ruth was a foreigner, yeah, and and potentially barren, or would have been believed to be barren, and then comes back and like God's like, I want like you're going to be a part of this um, because like you know like I I see your faithfulness to your mother-in-law Naomi, and I see um, you doing what you can at this point, right? She comes pretty pretty humbly to the field and is gleaning and doing what yeah, would have been possible for her to do to, to provide. She didn't know it was going to turn out like this. Um, yeah. And so I just see, I guess, a small act of faithfulness and God just like rewarding it like hugely. Um, yeah. And one of the things that striking to me of the whole kind of work area is the whole topic of gleanings. Uh, so one of the things we talk about in workplace, how is, is how the work is something that human beings are given at creation. So work is part of God's intention for humanity from the start. Um, but yet at the same time, you don't get far into the story before things become broken uh, and people do not have work or are not able to do the work that they're gifted to do. And just thinking about the difference between saying to Ruth, here is some bread, go away and eat, compared to saying, Ruth, come and work in my field, pick up around the edges and from that make your own bread. 
giving them space to work is a redemptive and humanizing thing to do, um, which I think is a really helpful part of the story as well. I do think that, like, as we're talking about this, um, the contrast I often find, uh, which I think we're familiar with, is um, like the contrast to redeeming something, it feels like, is uh, almost like the naming and shaming of something. Like seeing something that's not great or seeing something that's like different and um, kind of writing it off and saying like it has no value. There's nothing that can be redeemed of it. Yeah. Um, I think we had a conversation like before this podcast at some point about, uh, you know, the, the easy bullseye in our culture, cancel culture. <laughs> it seems to be something that we're all pretty familiar with where we know stories where people... Um, yeah, get written off because of, you know, something bad about them, something about that gets uh, attached to their identity, whether it's a decision they made or like um, something external to them that happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's really easy to take the, the, the route of like, let's name the thing that's not right and not good. And that actually becomes the, the end goal. Let's just, let's judge what is right and what is not right. Uh, which actually, if we go back in scripture, like the book before this ends with uh, the judges, the book of judges ends with Israel um, doing what they judged was right in their own eyes. Uh, so it, it, it's interesting. Like it's a context where they're already making their own judgments of what is right and what is wrong. And yet here's a story where like all of the factors are set up to highlight what is wrong and what is broken. Um, you know, people could say, well, if, if this, if Naomi as a, a Hebrew woman is going to leave her own land and move to another land, well, she deserves uh, to lose her family. And if she's going to bring a Moabite woman with her, well, she maybe deserves to not be grafted in mm-hmm. uh, and back into the family. And yet, that's not the story that's revealed. Mm. The story that's revealed is it actually steps into the awkwardness, the messiness, yeah. the the tensions of, you know, we talked about during RuthCon, the different power dynamics at play. In all of that, like the, the story is not uh, undermined or thrown aside because of all the power dynamics. It's actually through all of that, that this redemptive story allows something new and beautiful to come to fruition by the end. So again, I I think that's just one of the things I love about this story and especially at at this time in history, because I think we're, we all know those, those stories around us where someone does something and, and like I, you get canceled. Like there's no hope for you anymore. Like you're written off. And this story would say like, no, you're not, you're not written off. Mm-hmm. And actually, here's an example of what it looks like to redeem something that is broken, to redeem something that has been lost. And that that's actually part of God's heart. That's, yeah. that's what he wants to do in the world. He wants to take this world that was good and then went awry and has a lot of hurt and pain in it and not throw the whole thing out, but actually work with that thing to bring about something really, really good. Yeah. I love that. I just love that that narrative. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. 
Amen. Yeah. You know, so as we're like starting to wrap up um, this podcast, I mean, there's so much more we could talk about. I think it'd just be great for us to name like, what are some of the things that we left RuthCon and the study of Ruth um, actually thinking about Boaz? What are we mulling on? What is the thing we, we actually want would want people to walk away with uh, thinking about Boaz and, and their own lives? So maybe, um, maybe James, I'll start with you. One of the things I've loved about studying Ruth is that if I'm honest, before this conference, I hadn't spent much time on it before. I'd done some of those kind of Bible in a year plans and really I'd kind of consigned Ruth to the kind of this explains how we got David category. Mm. But there's been there's so much more to this story, uh, both in terms of the things we've talked about in terms of generosity, hospitality and redemption. And really, it really does reveal God's character to us along the way as well. So I'm just really grateful for the chance to explore these things in some more detail. Hmm. How about you, Terry? How about me? Um, yeah, I think the, what was standing out kind of when you were chatting at the end about redemption, Dave, is that like I think so often we decide if something can be redeemed. Um hmm. And I see like us missing the part where we seek God's heart for situations or for people. Um, and we don't see like, like um, it doesn't give examples of Boaz necessarily praying or seeking God specifically for this, but we do see him obviously being faithful and, and his actions are aligned to God's character. And I just think, um, yeah, he's just such a wonderful example of what, yeah, what it looks like to not, to not just do what other people are doing because like the easier way, right? Like, like the people around him wouldn't, wouldn't, would not have expected him to do what he did. Um, and yeah. And yet his, his heart was just aligned with God. And so I think that's the, the challenge that I've taken out of, um, yeah, coming out of RuthCon, coming out of studying and looking at Boaz and then our discussion today and leading up to today, it's just like, yeah, God wants, us to continue to seek his heart for people and for um, the marginalized. So, Yeah. And for myself, I think when I, I look at Boaz within the context, context of the story, um, I actually think about a lot of the students who are, who were at Ruth Khan um, and the, the being in the, the space where you're, you're in this time of life where, you get to make a lot of the decisions that are going to shape what the rest of your life looks mm-hmm. like uh, in terms of like what you're studying, what, how that's going to play into your vocation. Um, and I, I do think one of the things that uh, sometimes gets forgotten in that conversation of what, uh, what might God be calling you to do in your life is actually the role that generosity plays. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think both uh, g- generosity of uh your your skills and abilities like uh are you able to find a place where you could actually use your skills and abilities and talents to um to help make uh help lift other people up to create systems and structures that um take care of the marginalized that actually bring about flourishing for others um i think about money um and you know I'm sorry, millennials uh, and Gen Zs out there. Um, 
we're not really the generations that are going to be making lots of money. Uh, but that also like can spur a lot of thoughts of scarcity that we really have to fend for ourselves because other generations have more than we're ever going to have. Uh, and that's just not a narrative that I think is at home with the character of God. Mm. Um, I think the, the, what is at home with God's character is this generous uh, or this abundant generosity. Mm. And so I, I think of all the decisions that Boaz was making to proactively be about the care and well-being of other people with his his resources, his wealth, his land, his reputation. Uh, I think that's really significant. And then I, I just think within that is the invitation to be about the work of redeeming, uh, redeeming all things that are lost and broken in this world. Um, and so I think about uh, the hope of going back to campuses in person in the fall mm. and how many experiences of people have been lost and broken and hurting from this past year that if we take a posture uh, like Boaz with us into the future, we might go back to our campuses and our workplaces and our, our classes and think, Oh, what opportunity do I have here to redeem the thing that's been lost in this past year? Who here needs to feel the redemption of God in their lives and crazy, but how might my own life be redeemed by God through that work? Mm. I, I just think that uh, that is a wonderful mystery that I would want to live into. And I would love for others to want to live into that mystery as well. So that's all from us for uh, this conversation about Boaz we're so grateful that you were a part of Ruth Khan. Uh, and we hope that this is not the end of the story of you uh, discovering the heart of God through all of the wild and varied characters throughout scripture. Um, God is doing a good thing. And we are grateful for Ruth, Naomi, and our group, especially Boaz. So thanks for joining us. We'll see you when we see you.